It's Sunday Social, an hour dedicated to social media with Vaughan Davis. to Sunday Social. What a beautiful way to start the show. Mr. Don McGlashan from the Muttonbirds. Well, he was back then. While you sleep, Don was one of the uh, one of the earlier guests on the show. Show number 242. I don't get a cake. I don't get a cake for 242, maybe for show number 250. Hey, thank you for joining me tonight with you right through until 8 o'clock and the weekend variety wireless. I'd love you to join me virtually. Virtually, you can't go knocking on the door here at MediaWorks and expect to be let in, although I do hope my second half guest does exactly that. But you can join me virtually by texting me 3920 keyword live that'll pop up on the screen right here in front of me. You can tweet me at Vaughan Davis. I'm up there with Donald Trump, really, in, in my addiction to the, uh, to, the, to the Twitter machine. And I'm uh, I'm I'm not too uh, not too proud to uh, to do a little happy dance every time I get another Twitter follower. So at Vaughan Davis. Hey, tonight on the show we reveal which New Zealand bank finally, finally, years later has uh, got with the program and are going to adopt Apple Pay. We talk about the rise of the virtual restaurant. What is that? Do they serve virtual food? Do you pay in virtual money? We're going to tell you all about that. And Christmas cracker jokes. Kind of love them and hate them. We've got a website that's going to change your view of the humble Christmas cracker joke. First, though... Business or MYOB is the leading online accounting package, and they didn't get that way by ignoring future technology trends. They've even got a futurist in residence, which all sounds a bit Doctor Who. Karen McKenzie has been crystal balling the future of technology for the company and its customers and joins me by phone, actually from his walk in wardrobe, which uh, I'm sure you've got technical reasons for that. Karen, welcome to the show. Oh, how are you? 
It's all about the core quality. It's, it's kind of, it's got a bit of an, I, I said Doctor Who, but it's got more of a Narnia vibe. You could keep going back through, back through the coats and you'll end up in, uh, in, in the, in the snow-covered wastes of Narnia. Yeah, exactly. And of course, as you said, it's all about the sound quality. And so, you know, Walker wardrobes are great places for podcasts, videocasts. Well, maybe not so much video, but maybe not so much audio. video. Yeah. So, futurist in residence. That, how do I get that job? Tell me about that job. What is that job? Well, look, it's it's a it's a wonderful job. I like to I like to tell people I've got the best job at NYB. Uh, I get to get out and. Yeah, we sort of say it's demystifying technology for everyday people. Uh, you know, tech people are always using big words like artificial intelligence, machine learning, and blockchain, and these sort of bits and pieces. But the average business person goes, well, what does it actually mean for me? And so part of my role is about looking out, seeing those things, seeing what funky augmented reality stuff's coming, but then digesting it back down to what does it actually mean for a hairdresser or a cafe or a pub on the corner? So how did you end up doing this job? If, as you say, it's the best job at MYOB, why did they give it to you? Ah, uh, great question. Um, look, well, my background is a very strong technology background, uh, but also quite a lot of time in marketing and education. Uh, and so I found myself originally at MYOB looking after the APIs. Now, an API is a way for two different uh, software packages to communicate with each other and share data back and forth. Uh, and APIs are hugely popular in the online world these days. So I started off in that space and it was a highly technical sort of role and I was effectively marketing that to other developers. But the reality is with APIs is that someone then builds a solution on top of that and then takes that to market. And so we have people for example, someone like uh, a point of sale system who's taking the end of day journals or the end of day sales information and pushing it into the accounting system. Well, that's of value to our clients and to our customers. And so I started finding myself in a place where I was talking about technology and these amazing connected tools and telling really powerful stories about the money that was being saved or the time that was being saved or people being freed up from doing their paperwork in the weekend because software was doing it for them. And it sort of evolved from there into the space of just talking about technology in general. Uh, and so the business sort of went, well, actually, there is a space here for someone to be that sort of for want of another term, thought leader, uh, out in the market explaining where these things fit in a real business life cycle. So I, I guess I can see why it's uh, interesting to a customer and I can see the, the, the gap that you fill. But why is it important to MYOB to, to have its customers and I guess the general public uh, educated about technology? You know, here in New Zealand, of course, they can just listen to this radio show. But uh, what, what's the need that you're, you're, you're filling and why is it important enough for MYOB to invest all this money in it? The, the need comes down to that a lot of businesses just don't have time to upskill themselves on technology anyway. Um, we've just recently done a survey and found that, you know, from a business owner discovering a new software package, um, investing time in testing it, evaluating it, and then making the decision. So the point that they actually make a decision to implement that technology in the business to the day they actually do is for 18% of businesses is over a year. Um, sorry, is a year. For another 27%, it's over a year. Um, and so there's this sort of thing of saying, well, we can be a tech company. We can be out there talking about the advantages of connected platforms and automated bank feeds and OCR that reads your invoices. But a lot of businesses are just going, well, I don't understand and I don't know where that fits. And it's not just businesses. It's 
accountants, it's bookkeepers, it's advisors. Everyone is so busy doing that they don't often stop and think about, well, what, what's, what's a better way of doing it? How do I improve this? And so, so part of the role is, is showing people that there is a simpler way. And the delightful part of this is that a lot of it is actually quite simple to connect these things together. Uh, and so people get quite used to the idea of, in their personal lives, connecting up Facebook to Instagram and those sort of things. But they forget that actually sometimes connecting computer software in a workplace is just as simple. Uh, and so it's a matter of um, educating people and being that sort of company. Karen, you, you gave the example of a company taking a year to decide whether a, a piece of software, a new piece of software is worth getting and implementing it. Isn't, isn't it the case that a lot of times we kind of have the opposite problem as, as we get down this you know, relentless upgrade path and, and you know, looking at something a lot of us know about, Microsoft Office. You know, we'll go from mm-hmm. one version of Office to the next version of Office, still having only used 10% of the, the features of the last version. Is, is that uh, you know, true in your experience? Yeah, look, I think, I think you're right there. Uh, in, invariably, we we as people fall into our comfort zones uh, and we stay within those. And so, I mean, I'm a classic example and you're you're right, Excel, I probably use maybe 5% of the power of that thing. Uh, And then every time I want to do something different, I have to go and Google search how to do a pivot table or something like that. Um, And I think you're right. We we do fall into that trap. However, those 5% or 10% things are getting better each time. Uh, And the hope is that each time you do upgrade, you find those other components or those other delighters in the background. Now, at MIB's world, uh, part of the systems that we do is we try, uh, we try and encourage you to use as much of the software as you can, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But we're also trying to bring in automation and other tools to do some of the work that you may not need to. So the system is doing it for you. Uh, bank reconciliation, bank matching, those sort of things are things that come to mind there where you know, as a business owner, you might only be in there once in a while. But if the software is starting to do that stuff for you, those those other hidden features are still being used on your data. It's just freeing you up to find them. And you don't have to know about them and become expert them. And at, at, at the risk of becoming a technology naysayer, and I never thought I'd become one of those, but a lot of businesses, well, increasingly you hear of businesses uh, or even governments going with technologies or investing in technologies that just turn out to be rubbish. And the reason they invest with or adopt technologies that are rubbish is that their board, their decision makers, you know, are typically the oldest people in the business. They typically didn't grow up with this stuff. How can a a board, let's say, get to the point where they can make informed decisions about which tech path to go down when when it's generations, you know, younger than them, people making them? Yeah, that's a a really good one, that one. And, and, And I come back to sort of thinking like, we definitely need that younger generation to involve more and more. Uh, one of the things I've seen, I don't know whether it's a trend, but I've certainly seen it a bit more in the last 12 or 18 months, is the concept of reverse mentoring. Uh, and that's where you get this older generation who are either you know, senior executive level or board level members who are finding younger people in the business and saying, can, can we do some reverse mentoring? Can you teach me what the heck is Snapchat? Why are you using it? How, how are we growing our brand in that space? Just help me understand it. And, and of course, the flip side is, is the, the traditional mentoring comes into play as well. This person learns um, business process and how things happen. Uh, so I'm certainly seeing that. And I'd like to encourage more boards and advisors to uh, be doing that sort of reverse mentoring and looking for those people around them. 
But I also think there's a place for uh, diversity in our boards anyway, of, uh, and that's age and sex and everything else that goes into it, um, to, to bring in these other points of view uh, to the boards uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, so I definitely think businesses need to be approaching it that way. And I like the idea of reverse mentoring a way of, of uh, allowing the, the two generations to come together in a stronger way. So if the digital stuff is beyond your ken, find someone uh, who actually can grasp the stuff. I'm talking to Karen McKenzie, futurist in residence at MYOB. Back soon. Welcome back to Sunday Social. I'm Vaughan Davis and we are talking about the future with MYOB's futurist in residence, Karen McKenzie. Welcome back. Thank you. Good to be here. Isn't the risk with making predictions about the future that in, in 10 years' time, uh, you're going to become part of someone's PowerPoint prediction about how laughably wrong you were? <laughs> Absolutely. That's what keeps me up at 3 a.m. every morning. <laughs> uh, look, it, I think the reality is if that's the case, then I'm probably doing my job. Um, I don't pretend to get it right. I don't necessarily want to get it right. Uh, I'd rather foster a conversation around what could be uh, and let other people flow on through that. So broadly speaking then, if, if your job is to look in the future and, and none of us can do that, not really, how do you go about mm -hmm. it? How do, you, how do you say in five years this is something that's going to matter to us? In 10 years that is something that's going to matter to us? What's, what's in your toolbox? How do you, how do, you do your job? Yeah, that's a great one. And one of the things that I do a lot of is, is I, I plug into people who are just playing with crazy technology. Uh, and, and, and again, one of the benefits of my role is that I get to get out and about. I get to plug into startup communities. I get to plug into advisory teams uh, and just see what's what's going on out there. And a little bit like you, you know, I'm plugged into Twitter and LinkedIn, all these places, and just constantly, constantly looking. The other big difference for me, though, is I don't, unlike a lot of futurists, I don't go too far out. A lot of futurists will go 10, 20, even 30 years or further into the future. Um, and every now and again, I, I kind of do and I look out, out that far. But for me, the thing I delight about it is actually telling people that a lot of the future technology is already here today. Uh, and that's something that we've just done with MIB is talking this latest business report is mm. around the future of now. Um, and it's really amazing when you go and talk to people and you say, you know, we've talked about artificial intelligence, machine learning and robotics and these sort of things. And, and you start with a room and say, well, when do you think this is coming? And they go, oh, you know, it's, you know, brain, brain interfaces between the brain and the and, and say a computer is a good 15 years away. Nobody's anywhere near it. And then you show them the story of the young guy uh, from MIT uh, in America where He's doing um, silent brain lookups on Google and getting voice prompts back, or actually some bone conductive uh, prompts back mm. during a live interview like we're doing right now. Uh, and, it, and it blows their mind. Or you talk about the company like GTX Medical over in Europe who are doing uh, little devices that go in someone's back that allow you to take the brain impulses coming down the spine, bypass an injury place and put it back into the spine uh, with the concept of being able to give people the ability to walk again. And people are going, but this is 5, 10, 15, 30 years away. Go, no, no, this is today. These are companies right now doing this. So a lot of my role right now is actually taking that future tech or the stuff that we've always talked about as being future tech, shattering the myth that it's a long way away and saying, actually, it's a lot closer and companies are doing really crazy stuff. And Kiwi companies are leading the world in so many of these ways. 
So there's there's a, an expression I love, which is that the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. In in your report, you uh, you reference a couple of examples of you know the future maybe sprinkled over New Zealand a little bit more than than it might be in other places. Um, and one was about transport. You know, we talk about autonomous vehicles being something. Gee, mm. we have to think about that. That's that's in the future. But they're actually, they're in the here and now, and they're in Christchurch, right? Yeah, exactly. And this was surprising because both New Zealand and Australia have shut down all of their vehicle manufacturing processes. And yet here's a company, uh, actually out of, out of Auckland, who were building, you know, smart lighting systems for roads and bits and pieces like this. And they went, oh, you know what? This AI stuff's coming down the road and it's kind of interesting and different. And they decided a handful of years ago to start building autonomous cars. And of course now um, they've got the little... Omi, I think it's called, um, racing around Christchurch, uh, around the airport for a start, uh, autonomous bus service. Uh, and it's fantastic. It's, it's just so great to see a Kiwi company going, you know what, I don't care that we're not from Silicon Valley. I don't care that we're not from some other big giant place. We can plug in, we can build this stuff uh, and get it up and running really quickly. The two other examples you mentioned, which I, I really like because they, they bridge you know, the old economy and the new economy, rather than treating them as two, you know, competing spheres, are a, uh, a robotic technology for fruit counting and another one for herding cows. Yeah, isn't it delightful when we get uh, those things coming together? Uh, and New Zealand, of course, being such a powerful agricultural place. Uh, so Holter, the, the, the cow one you mentioned there, I mean, effectively, what are we saying? You know, it's like a Fitbit and an Apple Watch for a cow, um, which on, on the surface is kind of nutty. But when you think about the power of that data that that can give a farmer to understand their livestock better, to be able to, to, be, able to be more efficient in the way they move their livestock around, uh, it's just incredible. Uh, and another one that I really love as well is, is a company out of Christchurch called Invert Robotics, who are actually working with Fonterra and going inside their uh, steel food silos, uh, particularly for the milk, and doing um, uh, checking those things for damages. And, and these guys are now global around the world, massive in Europe, and they're coming out of Christchurch again. It's fantastic. So with, with every technology that, that is fantastic and will change the world and make all our lives better and shareholders rich, of course, there's, there's always going to be a bunch that are overhyped. And as part of your report, The Future Is Now, you've, you've interviewed a whole bunch of or surveyed a whole bunch of business owners and come up with a bunch that they consider to be overhyped. Well, what are they and what's your take on those? This was this was fascinating, actually, and, I've, and having been uh, doing this talk for the last couple of uh, weeks, you stand in front of people and you ask them, you know, of all the technologies that are overhyped, uh, I'll give you two. You've got blockchain on one side and artificial intelligence on the other. Which one do you think is the most overhyped? And I can tell you hands down, every single person in a tech audience will tell you that blockchain is massively overhyped. Uh, and yet, the survey told us that from a business point of view, Artificial intelligence is the most overhyped technology uh, in, in in the market right now, um, with 27% of people thinking that. So, uh, and blockchain was like halfway down the track. Do, do we do we think that people just don't have uh, a good understanding of what artificial intelligence is? Because I'm looking at my phone here, and it's a very smart phone. It's a Huawei, and if I if I point it at my dog, it goes, okay. I'm going to compare that to all the other images I've ever seen. Mm. 
that's a dog and I'm going to adjust yep. the photo accordingly. That's artificial intelligence. When I'm making a phone call on speakerphone, it has a listen and, and tries to work out what's the voice and what's the background noise and filters and changes accordingly. That's artificial intelligence. So it, it's here and now, right? But what, what, what do people think it is? Yeah, I, I, look, I think you're, you're right on that point there. What do people think it is? I think... We've all got this Hollywood mindset, you know, Iron Man and Jarvis, where you, you're going to have this thing that's around you that just knows everything and can do everything. And, and I, think, I think that's that Hollywood romantic idea of what AI is. Well, I've, I've, got, I've got that, that now, actually, though. I mean, you know, I can go home, Karen, and I can say, you know, OK, Google, uh, you know, what's the weather going to do? And uh, when's my next appointment? And my house speaks back to me because there's so many smart speakers around it. So that exists too. It, it does. You're right, but, we, but it's still not quite as romanticised as, as say, Hollywood is. But I also think you're you're right there. The people don't think that that stuff is AI. They just go, oh, it's just Google, you know, or it's, it's just it's just a search, it's just a lookup. They forget of all the powers behind it. And I think, as delightfully simple as we've made technology, we've kind of made it BAU. One of the other things we, we had in that report was that 22% uh, of businesses think that no technology will impact them in the next three years. And that got me thinking along the same lines as this. Have we, have we normalised technology where we no longer think about it in that same mindset? Have we just said, well, Siri and Google and, um, you know, Google Maps look up and, and uh, electronic banking... It's just all. It's just all BAU. It's just all normal. We don't see it as new tech. We don't see it as technology exactly. So, yeah. of, of all the things that you're looking at, and uh, you know, you do have a, a, an exciting sounding job. What are the technologies that personally excite you the most? You know, if I if I gave you I gave you a million dollars, Karen, and said I want you to invest in one area of tech only, you've got to choose one. Where's that million dollars going to go? And this does not constitute financial advice, by the way. If the, if, if yeah. the financial markets authority is listening. <laughs> exactly. Um, and and I'll, I'll deliberately not mention any names so that we're not doing any investment of this. Um, I, I think for me, the conduit has to be the connection between technology and people. Um, so if we're talking tech, I'd, I'd be definitely looking at AI, computer vision and machine learning coupled together. Uh, and the delightful part of that is that those tools can have a real impact in day-to-day -day life. They can be applied directly to business and help business owners, or uh, they can be applied directly to medical. And we've got tons of examples of, you know, software now uh, more quickly and better diagnosing cancer cells, um, helping people be um, uh, fertility clinics, uh, have better odds of, of helping couples become pregnant. Uh, you know, we've got the examples of people being able to walk again. Uh, I love where, for me personally, I love where technology becomes invisible and allows us as humans to get back to what we're passionate about or to have an impact in our lives. So I'm definitely looking at probably those three technologies in a medical sort of space. So all of what we've talked about uh, in a whole lot more detail is available in a report you've just released at MYOB. How can people get their hands on that, Karen? If you head to myob.com slash futureofbusiness, all one word, uh, you'll be able to find it right there. Uh, Kieran McKenzie, Futurist in Residence at MYOB. Thank you so much for joining me tonight on Sunday Social. It's been a privilege and thank you for having me.
And you can listen back to that whole entire interview with uh, Karen McKenzie from, well, pretty much the best online accounting software money can buy, MYOB, at radiolive.co.nz under Shows and Sunday Social. Or, or if you're a podcast fan, head on over to Apple iTunes and search us down. After the break, he's in the studio. He's a little bit sunburned. I think he's been playing tennis. Your favourite and mine, Mr Julian Waters. Back soon. Connecting you to the future of the internet. Internet. It's Sunday Social with Vaughan Davis. Welcome back to Sunday Social. We're going to get back to that charming little tune a little bit later in the show. But firstly, welcome back to the chair, Mr Julian Waters. How do you do? Very well, thank you, Vaughan. Good now, to be here. It is always good to be here. Um, although I do wonder what normal people do on a Sunday night um, after five years of this. Uh, Sunday nights, wouldn't have a clue. Barbecue, what do they do? You don't have to come here every Friday, every Sunday night. You, you About one and one and four, one and five. Try and get organised for Monday. Oh, that sounds boring. Yeah, I'm not missing out on anything. Yeah, Barbecues, long really. walks on the beach. Hey, um, you need friends for that. We weren't going to talk about this, but it's too good to ignore. Lime scooters, bit of a uh, bit of close to home lime scooter tragedy in uh, in your household, Julian. I, I love using flatmates for the radio, especially knowing that they never listen to it. It's like living with a novelist. You're going to you're going <laughs> en- to end up in the book. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, guys. But yes, my, my flatmate uh, was playing around on a lime scooter and on a f- flat concrete, as far as I know, and managed to come off it on an odd angle and broke his femur, his thigh bone, completely in half. That's the big one. Mm. He's going to be off work for, I don't know, six months, nine months or something, all from a lime scooter. That's a, and, and he wasn't even going somewhere. No, exactly. He was just hanging around outside his place of work. <laughs> Apparently it was very painful. I bet it was painful. Um, my, my mother, my mother who lives in Lower Hutt, she um, was up in Auckland last week and, and we got her on a lime scooter. She's, um, well, she's north of 70. Um, and, and she didn't break a femur, but she did. She did she, oh, I shouldn't be laughing. Uh, she took a tumble straight into the uh, plate glass window of the Team New Zealand shop down at the viaduct. Ouch. Boom. It didn't break, though. Oh. Neither neither her femur nor the plate glass window broke. And she, she also told me today, I was just on, on the phone to her earlier, she said uh, lime scooters seem to have launched in Wellington, certainly in Lower Hutt, which is a bit flatter than Wellington, uh, all over the place, all I, over the place. I, I think they can work on hills. I saw a, a, rather, a somewhat slighter person than myself going up Air Street here in Auckland, which is real steep. Yeah. I mean... I reckon the thing about them, they look like toys, and I think people treat them like toys, and that's what things go wrong. But they, they're useful, you know? Oh, they're very useful. It, it, it's, it's rare. You've got something to look forward to. Um, I, I, I made a mature decision last night and, and <laughs> left my, um, my car in the middle of a city because I'd, I'd been to a Christmas party and Good I man. needed to take some stuff, you know, so I needed the car, but I thought I'd leave it there and got an Uber home and this morning limed all the way. And it was four bucks, you know, halfway across town, perfect. Absolutely perfect. And uh, look, you can still stand. Two, two femurs. S- still. If this, was, if this was TV, if this was TV, you said I have two femurs. <laughs> hey, so we've talked about Lime. We've uh, kind of peripherally talked about Uber. Let's uh, complete the sort of trinity of online services and talk about Uber Eats and not just any old Uber Eats, which is you know you, you, you tend to go on a, a bicycle or a, or a car or maybe a Lime scooter uh, off to a local restaurant to pick up food for you. But this is 
virtual restaurants. So I remember in the early days of Facebook, I could send you a virtual beer or a virtual <laughs> a virtual turkey drumstick. Remember that? You know, send yeah. send Julian a beer. And, uh, what, you, you what was that about? You can people, can't you? I mean, you you still can, a thing, can. A virtual poke. A virtual poke. A virtual poke. Mm. Uh, but virtual restaurants, what the heck are those? Yeah, well, well firstly, for the benefit of you poor, deprived listeners who are not in an area that Uber Eats exists, you, you've got to realise this is a big thing, especially for people that have broken a femur and are stuck at home. They, Uber Eats for six bucks getting anything you like delivered instead of just... Well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get lamb shanks because that would just make you sad because you go, oh, look, that lamb shank, that bone is just complete and unbroken and now uh, unlike mine. That's, that's funny right there. That's yeah, it's funny. funny. So, so, yes, so we, don't, can, we don't need to tell people what Uber Eats is. No, yes. So, so rather than just being able to order from restaurants that you know and love already, there are restaurants popping up on Uber Eats that have not existed otherwise and do not exist outside that app, uh, So, which have been called virtual restaurants. They do actually make real food, though, and it will be real food that gets delivered that you can eat. Well, it's quite neat. So I, I, I read the story you sent me about this. There's a, there's a guy who's got three virtual restaurants called Don Bury Fury, Thunderburger and Kimchi Power, which all sound quite neat, but don't exist. Um, I struck this myself because I, I, I do a lot of Uber Eats. Uber is very, very kind to me, and they, they shout me a feed every week because they, 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 they've seen my selfies. Wow. They've seen my selfies on Twitter, and they're going, that boy, wasting away. <laughs> wasting away, we need to shout him a feed. So we have a sort of a, a you know, the, the family has a little weekly uh, Uber Eats ritual. And we found, you know, we searched for chicken or whatever it was, wanted chicken. And we found this place near home, you know, 20 minute delivery, called Hot Lips. And I said, that's great, Hot Lips. You know, and they, they, have, they have chicken and cauliflower and bits and pieces. Ordered it, loved it. And then a week later thought, what was the name? What's the name of that place? I forgot that you could look it up on your, you know, mm. old past orders. What was the name of that place? I went to Google it to try and find, you know, this this fried chicken restaurant on Ponce Road and, and couldn't find it, of course, because it doesn't exist. So it's just someone with an existing restaurant that's just gone, you know what? People would really like fried chicken and cauliflower. I'm just going to make a, a, a web page, essentially, or the, the elements of an Uber landing page, and and provide to people from the back of my existing restaurant. It's To me, what, what's great about this, I, I feel sorry for the restaurants that paying Uber Eats 30% of their margin. I mean, initially that was my thought. This is a, a way I think Uber really becomes useful for the restaurant business because you can try something out and it costs you nothing. Yeah, but the, 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 here's, oh, okay. here's the other thing is you don't even, you're not even really experimenting if, if, if it's done right. And I don't know how Uber shares their data, but what could happen and what I hope is happening is, you know, I'm a, I'm a restaurateur, I go to Uber and say, well, what people searching for in my area that is not being provided. And if it's kimchi burgers or fried chicken and, and cauliflower and, and it's everyone's searching for it, but it doesn't exist, that's a sure fire you know, virtual restaurant idea. I guess, yeah. Or, or you could, alternatively, you could do the most popular item and uh, just do it better than anyone else. Just, do, just skim or it. Just skim it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Just, uh, top, what do they call it? Top grading. Just do some top grading. Hey, uh, while we're talking about Uber Eats, another Uber Eats story, Uber Eats, uh, this is this is one of those, hey, it's the end of the year, let's release our list of things story. This is a, this is a listicle, the radio equivalent of a listicle. That's, that's a list article. 
do, do our readers not know that yet? No. Listeners, have listeners. you have you heard that expression? They're, oh yeah, they're, they're, they're my listeners, Jim. Uh, sorry, sorry, listeners, Vaughan's listeners. No, you're not allowed. To, you're not allowed listeners. to talk directly to my listeners, Julian. Oh, you talk to me. Oh, that's right. Sorry. I'm the host. Yes. You're the guest. Um, Uber Eats has released its annual stats, which was which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, you know the answers to this, so you'll have to feign surprise. Um, of the hundreds of thousands of Uber Eats orders made in 2018, the number one ordered item in all of the country, because we're so adventurous, was butter chicken. Mm. Interesting. Isn't if it? anyone offers me butter chicken, I always take the chicken. See, that's a joke. You're just too slow to get it. Um, the most expensive order, the most expensive order on Uber Eats is not from the French cafe in Kyber Pass. We should go there afterwards. It's just up the road. Uh, the most expensive order in New Zealand on Uber Eats was from Wendy's Real Burgers. $870. That's a lot of burgers from Wendy's. The most mm. searched for item is burgers, not surprisingly. The most common request on all of Uber Eats is no onion. Wowzers. I love onion. I want I want the onion that people don't order. Oh, you can have mine. I always make that request. You're a wowzer. And the number one order after midnight. Have you ever ordered Uber Eats after midnight? No. That's a that's a no from Julian. Uh, it's not it's not the mince pie, if, uh, the mince pie and the chocolate milk. Uh, no, it is the Big Mac combo. There you go. Do you, are you surprised? Original. Are you surprised? It's the Big Mac combo. Uh, in the sense that I don't live that far from the biggest McDonald's, and they don't even deliver to my place. That on that level, I'm surprised. But yes, people like their McDonald's, don't they? Well, I, it's not on this list, but I believe it to be true that uh, the number one restaurant on Uber Eats in New Zealand is McDonald's. Who knew? Hey, mm. um, entertainment. Let's talk about entertainment. Esports. I read the story and I went, "Hmm, this is a sign of the times." So. Um, Australian and New Zealand cinema network Hoyts, so cinema operator all over Australia and New Zealand, has announced a content deal, and this is not with Paramount Studios, this is not with 20th Century Fox, this is not with Searchlight Pictures, this is with Swift Networks, who the heck are they? An eSports content distributor. So we should say what that is. So this, when, if you've been into your teenager's bedroom uh, lately, and you, you know, you're a better man than I if you have, uh, chances are, uh, probably the least disgusting thing you might see, is the teenager playing an online game with another 99 people, you know, Fortnite or some sort of Battlefield game or whatever. Or, or maybe, um, is it League of Legends, isn't it? That's the game yeah. they play. Wrong, wrong. Listen to us. So, so video games, you know, swords and dragons and smiting and, and potions and all that sort of things. Well, not only are people playing, this is the kind of escalating up to the, to, to the end of the story, not only are the kids playing these games, they're going on YouTube channels, Twitch channels, and watching other people play the games and giving commentary as they go. So that makes sense, right? You play tennis, you watch someone play tennis, right? Yeah, I, I guess. Well, you do. <laughs> I don't get it, but it's a no. Big you deal. play. You play tennis, yes, and you oh, watch. That, that, so sure. stay with me. You yeah. play. Some mm, people I'm play. Yeah, you know, there's a group of people who play tennis, and then there's a group of people who play it really well. And that that group of people you play really well, you watch. You know, you watch the tennis. That's sound logic. So mm. far, so good. Well, esports is taking that to the nth degree, and this is having having teams competing in these video games and either in real-world stadia, so in the States, in Korea, in Japan especially, tens of thousands of people will pack into stadiums to watch two teams of four kids on stage playing computer games. Lo and behold. Lo and behold, for yeah. prize money that gets up into the, into the six figures. Absolutely incredible. But 
Hoyts has gone, you know what, we can monetize that. So coming soon to a cinema near you, your teenage kid is going to be buying not a ticket to a movie, but a ticket to sit in the cinema and watch a computer game tournament. You know, if I can sort of park my utter derision for this whole idea of Firstly, people playing video games all day, and secondly, people watching them. Um, good on Hoyts. That's smart. Good move. It's very I, smart. Yeah, I was. I had another idea that I'd sort of run by some of these people casually once. Some similar, similar thinking. That yeah, I mean, we'll all still go to the movies if there's a great movie on, but. It's a screen, and we use screens for a lot more things than we used to use screens for. That's right. So it's, uh, and movie theatres are a lovely, nicely conditioned environment with a great big screen and good sound, so why not go and do it? Do you know what, I, I, I could uh, do a deal with Hoyts where people could go sit in the movie for a 90, in your movie theatre for 90 minutes and just watch my Twitter feed. Because <laughs> that is some good stuff. That is some seriously good stuff. It's, it's a mix of insight and humour. And, and that, that's what that's what makes me so popular. Hey, um, speaking of people sitting in stadia watching other people do useless but entertaining things, you're quite excited about the tennis and, and the social media angle to that, Julian. Yes, tennis season is great. We love the ASB Classic, me and my family. Uh, and, yeah, what's, what's interesting about the particular players that... So, so Auckland's tennis tournament is not a grand slam. It's not one of the biggest tennis tournaments in the world, but it is of an... You know, it's an international tournament. The particular... well, it's, a, it's a hokey little excuse to get some, you know, second-rate overseas people over and, and sit people in corporate boxes and, and feed them beer, isn't it? <laughs> really? No. That was my experience of it. <laughs> well, then you, did, you obviously don't enjoy tennis as much as, as I do. I think it's great fun. Even just sitting there, eating good food and, you know, having anyway, a Anyway, social, social media angle. The, the particular players that are coming to our women's tournament are, are the biggest social media stars. Um, aside from a couple of legends of the sport. So Jeannie Bouchard, uh, the Canadian player who's coming, she's got 1.8 million Instagram and 1.5 million Facebook fans. Uh, Caroline Wozniacki, my daughter's best mate, I'm sure Caroline will assert, is 1.3 on, on Instagram, 1.5 million on Facebook. And um, Venus Williams, just over a million Instagram and 2.6 million on Facebook, um, which is solid numbers, more than any of the men uh, that are coming. And um, I think on Instagram, it's about more than anyone except for the legends of Roger Federer. And, um, but do, do they actually give, you know, do they, do they use the networks other, other than to say, hey, here's my new Nike shoes, go Nike? Or do you actually be following these tennis stars? You know, if I were a tennis fan, I'm not. Um, I would want to, you know, watch my, my hero after winning or losing a game in the hotel room that night telling me how he or she really felt, how it was, getting that inside skinny. Is that how they use it or is it a little bit more mundane? They don't tend to post that specific thing. We don't get the immediately after the match reactions because if they lose, they probably it's not broadcastable and if they win, well, we know they're feeling happy. But uh, another player who's coming, Bethany Maddox-Sands, who's been number one in the world in doubles, she had a horrific knee injury at Wimbledon year before last, I believe, where, where her knee basically rolled around the side of her leg in the middle of a match. Uh, and watching her sort of in going through the whole recovery process and coming back to, to top form, uh, being able to follow all that. Um, so she'll she'll post regularly. And, yeah, sure, they always promote this this particular sponsors. But, you know, your sponsors for tennis are, are quite relevant. If there's a new tennis racket out on new shoes, that is, you know, it's, it is relevant if you're a tennis player. So it's not like, I mean, Jeannie 
<clears throat> excuse me, endorses Colgate toothpaste, which is really that interesting when those posts well, come Well, no, up. because you, you, let's let's be honest, you don't use your teeth to play tennis. No, but she's got a nice smile, so, you know... It's a well, that's, that, that that's the sense. thing, isn't it? That's the thing. And, yeah. and that's a criticism that's been levelled at, you know, both sides of the of the, of the tennis game, is is the stars are often stars as much because of their appearance and their Instagrammability as their ability to hit a ball. Well, I think it works for AP Classic because G. Bouchard is not currently a top-ranked player but uh, is bringing a social media following to our tournament, which is, which is great. Which is probably not a bad thing. Hey, after mm. the break, the app, websites and social media goodness you just need to get through the second last week of the year. Back soon. Sunday Social. back to Sunday Social, our last show before Christmas. Julian, what did you think of that? What did you think of that for a Christmas carol? Shocking. It was pretty shocking, wasn't it? So uh, some artificial intelligence researchers at the University of Toronto um, spent probably quite a lot of time programming uh, an artificial intelligence uh, instance, I think that's the, uh, the term, to write a Christmas carol based on a photograph of a very pretty Christmas tree. And that's what that was. And this is the artificial intelligence is meant to be taking over the world and making us all redundant, and that's the best it could come up with. Yeah, so. well, I, I think what we can take from that is if you are um, someone whose career revolves around writing Christmas carols, and those people probably exist, your job is safe. We have to uh, interrupt this bulletin to congratulate um, Rocket Labs USA for um, putting a bunch of nano satellites into orbit for NASA this afternoon from the Mahia Peninsula. USA, USA. USA, it's a New Zealand company though, really, isn't it? No, and not its soul not, and its heart. Oh, well, not at all. It's, it's an American company registered in the United States. Well, it is now. That's why it's called Rocket Lab USA. Yeah. But uh, quite, the, quite the achievement nonetheless. Mm. I, I, wish I'd, I wish I'd watched it on the live stream. They do a good live stream at, uh, at Rocket Labs. Hey, uh, apps, apps for the holidays. Are you travelling? Are you travelling over the holidays, Mr Waters? Only to the tennis and back. Only to the... T- <laughs> One Stop day. it with the One tennis. Day. Stop it with the tennis. Um, I'm going to be. I'm going to be flitting around. I'm not sure where I'm going to go. I'm just going to jump in the plane and uh, follow the good weather. There are some places I kind of want to go. I'd quite like to go to like Alexandra, Omarama, those sort of places. Maybe the West Coast. Maybe out Gisborne Way. Haven't been out there for a while. But uh, when I do that, problem. Don't know the radio live frequency. Solution. Rover. Have you played with the Rover app? I have it. I've used it to listen to your show when I've been on my way here, so I knew what I was getting into. I, I never really had because I, I, I do all my radio listening um, either in the car or on uh, Google Smart Speaker. So you just say, you know, OK, Google, uh, or I better not say it too loud, a phone will answer. OK, Google, play you know, radio live on TuneIn, and it, and it just plays it. But uh, I had a look at the Rover app, and it's got, it's got every single MediaWorks uh, radio station, and, and it's a really well-together app. You'd be, you'd be quite, a, quite a critic of these things if, the, if they're clunky and hard to use, but I found it really, really easy. So the, and, and, and you know, pretty, pretty. It is very simple to use. Every radio station's in a pretty circle with the, the crew on it and you just swipe along and click the one you want to listen to. And, and, you can, and you can go back through, you know, back through time. So you don't just have to listen to what's on now. You can listen to what's on before, listen to what's on before, listen to what's on before. Whoops. 
that happens sometimes. Uh, but it's called Rover. It's free for Android and iPhone. And if you're heading away, I would absolutely recommend it as a good way to keep in touch. I'm doing a bit of a series over the summer. I are. What's it about? It's it's called Made in New Zealand. So this is a good good very good reason to keep listening to Radio Live for the next uh, for the next few weeks. Uh, it's called Made in New Zealand, and it's it's kind of the, the result of, I guess a not a frustration, but a, a passion I had for telling the stories of New Zealand companies who are making things, making physical things, things you can hold in your hand or, you know, take home in the boot of your car or wear on your foot. That kind of gives away what that is. Um, not, you know, not just software companies or IP companies or companies that exist in the cloud, but uh, companies that make stuff. So I, I went in, in the this, in this series, we'll, we'll travel to a whiskey distillery, which is kind of good fun. Ooh, that, that, that was good fun. So these are one-hour shows. This is me in the place, talking to the people and uh, experience the product. Uh, I go to the, the home of Juicy Campers, where they uh, they actually they make the campers. They bring in these second-hand Toyota Previas, I think they're called, and, and make campers. That's kind of cool. Yeah, suit them up. Yeah, I got, I got a sock factory. I get, can you <laughs> guess which one? Oh. oh, come on. Julian, you're not really a New Zealander. Norsewear. Oh, okay, yes, yes. In Norswood. wearing outdoors. Yeah, in, in, lo in, in Lower Norswood. Uh, that was absolutely fantastic. I saw, I saw the machine that has been making the Norsewear Farm Fleck sock, which is the classic grey and grey, two-tone two grey, chunky sock. Since 1967, they've got these English machines from Birmingham or somewhere that have been making these socks day in, day out since 1967. It was like a pilgrimage. I have a feeling your listeners will either be charging to download the Rover app and miss an episode of this, or they'll be thinking, it's sunny outside. No, I think you're totally wrong. Uh, it is, mm. e even when it's sunny, you should be listening to this because it's absolutely fantastic. Hey, Christmas, will be. Christmas coming up. Um, Christmas gift pack. I've made one. Do you, do you have, did you think about this when you saw my Christmas gift pack? Did you think uh, you had a better one? No, you didn't. Um, it's it's the it's the it's the good old Google Chromecast, and yes. I cannot recommend this. If we're talking Christmas, talking Christmas gift picks for about sixty nine dollars. Your price may vary. For sixty nine dollars, you can buy what we call in the trade a dongle. Yes, it's a dongle, which means a little gadgety thing that you plug into the back of your TV. If, if your TV's got a thing called an HDMI port, which every TV in the last 10 years will yep. probably have, you can turn your TV from a dumb TV into a smart TV. Isn't that cool? Essential. Great idea. Everyone should have one or an Apple TV, but that's more expensive. Apple TV's more expensive yeah. and more complicated, maybe more capable, but, but with, with a Google TV, mm. it connects your TV to the internet. It allows you to control what's on your TV through your phone, your laptop, your, your tablet, and it just transforms it. So you don't need to pay 10000 no matter what Noel Eming tries to tell you, you don't need to pay $10,000 for a smart TV. You just need to pay $69 for a Google Home. Indeed. Did I say Google Home? I meant Google Chrome. Google, Google Chrome. Google yes. Chrome. Chromecast. Yeah, really, really, really cool. Yeah, Apple TVs are from two hundred and fifty bucks. So. Oh, you're looking it up as we speak. You're looking uh, it up as we speak. Sure. I wanted to provide your listeners with some accurate information on that matter. Hey, you don't you don't, you don't listen to the show for accurate information. You you listen to the show for a unique blend of opinion, fact, and entertainment. Oh, we're coming we're coming to the end of the last show of the year, Julian. <sighs> oh, I want to cry. Well, why? I always want to cry. Oh, because I enjoy it's still, it's, it's it. Look, look, you can see it here in the heart of the news hub through about three windows. You can see windows through windows through windows, and I think it's still sunny outside. There's time for that walk on the beach. There's time for that takeaway. It's still summer. Or Uber Eats delivery. Uber Eats delivery, that's right. That's what I might do. Hey, thank you so much.
Thank you such, Mr. Kieran McKenzie, for uh, for joining me in the first half. And, and remember that interview, as well as all others, is at radiolive.co.nz under shows and Sunday Social. Thank you so much, Julian Woods, Thanks in the second me. half. Um, my brilliant technical producer, Saskia, in the booth, as well as Sarah. Sarah, come back for a union. She's one of our old technical producers. And I'd like to dedicate the show to two men without it would not have been possible, Mr. Rod Drury and Mr. John McCallum. Nighty night.